Just wrapped up a, a series in John, uh, the I Am Statements of Jesus. Um, and so we are, uh, we're now in, uh, in a, in a four-week series on, uh, called Life Matters. In this series, we'll, we'll kind of explore how God uh, speaks to our families, our relationships, our roles as neighbors and citizens, and to the enduring legacy of a life well-lived. Um, so uh, over these four weeks, we'll be, uh, we'll be looking at various aspects of life. And so t- today, uh, we are in Deuteronomy 6, and we're going to be looking at, uh, at families, at relationships, uh, and, and, and maybe more specifically, just at generations and how they, how they relate to one another. So out of reverence for God's Word, if you are able to, uh, would you please stand uh, as we read uh, the revealed Word of God to us today. Uh, I'll be reading, if you're following along, I'll be reading uh, verse, uh, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 12. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I commend, or command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give to you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest, the Lord for, uh, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, there's a book uh, by one of uh, my wife and I's favorite authors, Henry Nouwen. Uh, it's called Wounded Healer. Now, Henry Nouwen's a priest a professor, a writer, a theologian. You should pick up any of his books and read them. They're amazing. Wounded Healer is especially good. Uh, In this book, he reflects on the next generation. Uh, He refers to them as a rootless generation. They have no roots. He explains uh, within this that that the men and the women of tomorrow display three characteristics now. Uh, These three characteristics are inwardness, fatherlessness, and convulsiveness. That's not really the most beautiful picture there. His basic argument is that the generation to come, will, uh, to come increasingly defines itself neither by what society suggests from it on the outside, uh, its relationships to other people and its responsibilities within that, nor by what is handed down to him, uh, to him or her through the ages. So free from society, from responsibility and from heritage, they're left with the inward approach, finding their identity, finding their purpose within. Now, as I read this, I think this is fascinating, and I identify right now with our current moment. Yeah, this, this next generation is really this way, but it's interesting that Henry Nouwen wrote this wounded healer in 1972, so he was actually speaking of me and my generation. And I find it interesting that I'm, I'm, I'm reading this, and I'm saying, wait a second, you're diagnosing me and and I see that in the next generation. I think there are some truths that kind of uh, that, that happen. I would say maybe from 
post-enlightenment, uh, uh, maybe especially post-World War II American culture, we have, we have become generations who are increasingly inward, fatherless, and convulsive. Uh, what does he mean by all of this? He says, uh, he says we, uh, we have no roots, uh, lacking roots uh, that, that, that we should have by, by receiving the tradition, receiving the heritage from, from, from previous generations and, and clinging to it and not, not throwing it aside and saying we have something better uh, by, by leaning into something other than ourselves and, and, or, or digging into, rooting ourselves into something else. It says if we don't have those and our roots aren't good, then we're not going to be very sturdy and therefore the result is what he says is we'll be convulsing. We'll be moving back and forth violently, quickly, unexpectedly. Uh, the Bible says, tossed to and fro by any wave of whatever is said, whatever feeling is felt, or whatever hope is dreamed of. I think Deuteronomy 6, written hundreds and hundreds of years before the wounded healer and Henry Nouwen, speaks to this proactively. It assumes that this will be the problem if we don't take care of our role as a generation to the next generation. It's a sort of a corporate call to the family of God to continually remind the inward, fatherless, convulsive generations of the things of the Lord so that they root themselves in the character and the plan and the works of the Father who is steadfastly loyal. So Deuteronomy 6, I think, is a call to the entire family, not just mothers and fathers, but to the entire family of God to lean into an intergenerational modeling of the faith, an intergenerational teaching of the faith, an intergenerational dialogue of the faith. So I, I want to go there now and, and look at maybe four practical ways that Deuteronomy 6 helps us to, 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 lean, into the, to lean into this. Above all, I, mean, I think it's one of the most quoted you know, verses. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. I really think that this text... Uh, it t- teaches us and tells us and urges us to love the Lord in every way uh, with everyone at all times. And what does it mean to love the Lord in every way with everyone at all times? I think there are four ways. The first one, the way that we love the Lord is to hear the Lord's instruction, to hear the Lord's instruction. Verse 4 and 9, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love him with your everything. I think uh, if I rewrite it, maybe if I, if I, if I give it a different uh, expression here, verses four through nine basically say, wallpaper your world with these words, these words that I have spoken of God. Uh, so uh, last year, a couple of my friends from out of state came, and I decided that, um, that they needed to go see the future birthplace of Captain James T. Kirk in wonderful uh, Riverside, Iowa, um, if you've not been there, you should go. Uh, it's unbelievable. It's, it's breathtaking. Um, yeah, but while we were in Riverside, uh, just right on that corner, you know, as, you, as, you're, as you're going through town, there is a Star Trek museum, and we decided, well, why not? When in Rome, right? Uh, when in Riverside, uh, Star Trek. And so we, uh, so we went to this, this, uh, this Star Trek museum. Now, if you haven't gone there, I really recommend you go there. Uh, it is uh, also breathtaking. Um, it's impressively, overwhelmingly decorated with Star Trek memorabilia. Uh, it, it literally, 
everywhere. Uh, here are things that I saw there. Action figures, movie props, posters, videos, merchandise, photos. They are everywhere. And, and so I asked myself, like, you walk in and you're there. If you've been there, you, you kind of maybe have the feeling. You walk in, you're like, why? How? What, what is this? Why does this exist? Well, for the same reason a lot of things exist, because some people really love Star Trek. And because they love it, they made it. And because they made it, they, they, they invested into it. And so this, this museum has been kind of a memorial uh, for reminding Trekkies and not yet Trekkies of the many voyages of the Starship, Starship Enterprise. And it is incredible how much stuff they have there. Their loves wallpapered that building. Their loves are felt all over Riverside. Uh, the Star Trek is, is, is there. Uh, you, 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 you see it everywhere you go. They've assembled a display and displayed something that, it, that not only shows their love. I think this is, this is a big thing we need to know. It doesn't only show their love, but it also informs their love. Like, I, I admit, after, like, I, seriously, after I went to that museum, I was like, I need to know a little bit more about what's going on here. I went home and I watched, like, the first three episodes of Star Trek, and it was super fun. I was like, hey, it kind of caught on there. I didn't continue on, but it, it, was, it was pretty good. That first season of Star Trek, super weird and wonderful. Um, that's Deuteronomy 6, though. That, and if you're a Trekkie, I'm sorry. Like, I actually think it's really cool. I'm just making fun of it a lot, and I don't mean to do that. Sorry, ease off of that. Um, the uh, Deuteronomy 6, what it does here is it says, wallpaper your world with your loves, and your love should be God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love him with everything and make it known. Put your love on display that it becomes contagious. The first step, I think, to beginning this legacy project of rooting the next generation in Christ is with these words. See, our passage literally says these words. So it's speaking of these words. Uh, Where is that? Um, Verse 6, and these words that I command you, do something with them. These words, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them to your children. You shall talk of them always. You shall bind them on your hands. You shall put them as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts and on your gates. It's just as creatively as possible. He put it everywhere so that you see it. Not just something that you said one time and walked away, but it's everywhere. Wallpaper your world with the words of God. So I know that it's kind of abstract here. What does it mean to wall? What does it look like to wallpaper a world with these words? Well, I think in order to wallpaper with these words, we need to know these words. So I would suggest the first step to it is to know what the words are to get that wallpaper. First, it looks like reading these words aloud together in a variety of settings. We read them aloud together here, uh, multiple passages each Sunday because there is something good in people getting together and reading the Word of God aloud. I oftentimes, while I'm positive, the best part of all of my sermons are when I just go quiet and read the actual Word of God. It's so much more powerful than any, any craftiness or, or, or creativity that, that we could put together. And so oftentimes, when you're together with family, when you're in a community group, when you're teaching the kids, when you're doing whatever it is that you do, reading together aloud is very powerful and stunningly simple. You just open it and start reading. 
One of the places that I found very helpful, uh, I, I kind of think of the dinner table as the dad's command center. Like, this is where I can lead the family. Uh, this is the time we're all together. And so I guess first step is get your family around that uh, regularly, and then you can just read it. Uh, some things that I've heard people do that, that are really helpful in this, in this idea is, uh, is, is, uh, is whether it's with your roommates, whether it's with your, your spouse, whether you have kids or not, um, you just read it. Uh, one family I knew uh, read through books of the Bible. They just take turns. You know, one person would read and, you know, while the others are eating or whatever, and, uh, and then they'd you know, go on and do their thing. they just read through. And there wasn't anything really made of it. they just read through it because it's good to be fed that way as well. Uh, another family I'd, I'd heard of um, would read a portion before, then they'd pray, and then while they were eating, uh, rather than complaining about what the meal was, they would just have a dialogue about what does this mean? Who are the characters? What do you think they felt? This and that. And so, uh, and so that's, uh, that's one way that I've heard it done. And they said that it was pretty good. Now they were still complaining about food, but there was good discussion as well. Um, one of the things that I've done with my, with my kids, um, last year I just tried this uh, experiment. I gave them a, a paper and crayons, and I said, I'm going to read one of the Psalms. And you just listen, and you just draw what you, what, what you hear me read. As the Psalms are filled with pictures. There's just so many pictures in there. And so it was, it was amazing. I, I read, you know, one of the Psalms, read it a couple times. I'm like, all right, we're done. Now you share with me what your picture says. Uh, what they're doing is they're saying how God spoke to them through that Psalm, but, you know, rather than going that way. That was about a year ago. I'm really excited. I'm going to do that again this year and see if the picture changes. We kept them and see if God speaks to them differently there. So to me, those, those are very, very practical ways of wallpapering. I don't think it has to be anything crazy. Sometimes we think, I have to have this, this biblical worldview and be able to interact with all these different apologetic things. Just read the Bible. <laughs> Pray that the Spirit makes it stick. Like, it's really it. Hear the words, or hear the Lord's instruction. That is one of the ways that we show our, our love of God. That's one of the ways in which we, the best ways that we can root this next generation. But why? Why do we do it? So we have the how. How do we go about it? Maybe some suggestions there. Why do we go about this? Uh, wallpaper in our world with these words. Why do we listen to, hear, follow the Lord's instruction? I think it's because we're prone to, uh, to pull up our roots. It's because, uh, because uh, we know so well that we are prone to believe that we are, that we are, uh, are, are tempted to credit ourselves for, uh, for what God has done in our lives, uh, for, for how we have grown uh, maybe for righteousness and salvation itself. And we need to hear the word of the Lord bring us back to say the Lord works in powerful ways that you don't. And we need to hear that, even though it's not so fun, because it's good for us. Because if we don't hear that regularly, we're prone to pull up our roots and say, nope, inward, it's just me. I can do it alone. And that ultimately we see high, high, high rates <laughs> of depression and suicide now. It's not working <laughs> It's not working to believe in ourselves only. We need something more lasting and deeper than us, and we can give the next generation something that is, and it is the Father, and they can root deeply in that. That is, I feel, the responsibility of older generations to the younger generations, is to instill that correct memory of what Scripture says. And so we'll move on to verses 10 through 15. One of the ways we show the loves of God is by, uh, by hearing the Lord's uh, instructions. Another way is to remember the Lord's work. I'll read verses 10 through 15. It says, And when the Lord your God brings you 
into, uh, into the land that he swore your fathers to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord. That's so great. He says, he says when we go there and you find out that you're in a place that you did nothing for, Remember that, lest you forget the Lord. Here in Deuteronomy 6, we're at the tail end of the the Israelites' 40 years of wilderness wandering. They're about to enter the land that the Lord swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Quite literally, the land that was promised to them, or the promised land. And what a land it is. It is great in good cities. It's not just like they walk into a little, you know, walled city here. It is great and good cities. There's, there's many. It's a vast land. Uh, houses full of all good things. Cisterns with good water. Vineyards and olive trees. So it's like, it's like we, if we imagine their, their world, he's walking them into a place. And as he's going there, he's saying, and I've already wallpapered it with reminders that I did all this. When you go into that vineyard that takes many years to get ready for a good crop, you remember you didn't do anything and there's a good crop right there. You're going to have to remember, I did that. And that city that you didn't make that you're now living in, oh yeah, right, I did that. And they're going to be walking around in all of these reminders of God's work. And there are times that I like to look back at the Israelites and be like, shame on you guys. Well, how could you ever walk away from this? Isn't that so true of us when we walk around in all of our blessings? He, he has, he's given us that. He's brought us here to that. I mean, one of those blessings, if you just want to at some point, not everyone at the same time because it'll be awkward, look around and see all the blessings of people that are here. I was listening to someone talk this, uh, this week uh, about it, and he said uh, they were talking about the case for being around people, rather, you know, where the countryside always feels more like it's like God and the city feels like it's the place of the devil. He says, but if you look at this, the city is full of people, and people are made in the image of God, and so you literally have a higher concentration of the images of God walking around together. Lean into those. The city is great. We've been given that with each other. That's an incredible reminder. I don't know how many times I get frustrated with people and I think, what are you doing, God? Where, where is this? It's almost like I'm out in the wilderness again asking for God to help me with these gifts that he's given me. But he walks us in to these places and if we have the right eyes that he is instilling here, if we have this memory from the Lord, we can see that he's reminding us to come to him. He's reminding us that he did something and we didn't do something. And I think that's where we really need to hit because if, if we miss this point, we miss the whole reason for like all of Scripture and all of Deuteronomy 6 because this Lord is different than other lords. This God is someone else. What are we to remember first and foremost? It's salvation. You see, and that salvation is right here. Verse 12 then take care, which, okay, ESV, like I love the ESV, ah, that one's rough. It's like, be careful, be cautious, not just take care. Uh, so be careful, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Who is this Lord? He's the Lord who brought you out of slavery. And as we can look at, at a very, very real historical account of being brought out of slavery, what is this being brought out of slavery? 
So the Israelites, the people of God that he loves, that he says, I will redeem you. Uh, I, I will bring you. You will be my own. I, you are my people. You are my treasured possession, which we just read First Peter. He says that to us as well. He says that there's judgment coming. The angel of the Lord will come, and, 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 and the judgment will be on the people who have not obeyed. But firstborn will die, strikingly similar to uh, uh, something we read in New Testament. He says, but if you have a lamb, and you put that blood of the lamb over your door, then that judgment won't be on you. You will be delivered from my wrath. But not only that, you will go and you will go through the waters as a symbol of that salvation from the house of slavery, and you will go on to your life in the wilderness. Now, whoa, isn't that so similar to us? That we remember, and what we remember is that we are slaves. And the epistles, we hear and write all about this. We are slaves to sin, not to Pharaoh, but to sin. Our own sin was slave. Death was arrested, and my life began. Christ, the Lamb of God, whose blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins and took care of the wrath of God, now has led us through faith, symbolized in water, out. We are free, and we're ready. We can go. Death was arrested, my life began. And we, we, we sing of this. This is what we remember. So we wallpaper our world with this, and we remember that the physical things that we have in life are all just gifts. They're all just icing on the cake. God, I have continual reminders that God is doing something that we can't do. But ultimately, what we remember is that no matter what our identity that we suppose it would be, or whatever our situation, or whatever the high or the low is currently, that there is a God who can actually take care of death, who can actually forgive you, who can actually make that a real thing. And that's something that a rootless generation needs to hear. Because if we don't hear that, if we don't say that, if we don't speak that and remind ourselves in that as we are carrying the memory for the others rightly, if we don't have that, then we're, we're just going to look for other saviors. We're going to look for other uh, salvation. We're going to look for something else that speaks a good word to us. But this is what the task of older generations is, is to rightly remember the Lord's work, namely that of creation, salvation, restoration, redemption, glorification. He is the Lord who brought you out. It's not only saying he's, he's doing this thing, he's also singling him out. He's saying, that one, that God, that's the saving one. Of all the gods that you might have, of all the ways that you want to be, of all, of all, all the, the, the avenues you go and all the safety you try and get and all the books that you may read and this and that and try and understand what's going on in this life and trying to figure out and make yourself maybe your own God there, there's only one who is doing this. It is that God. It is the Lord, the one who saved you from Egypt, and the one who can save you from sin. That's the one. Remember what he alone has done for you. So, the one with, uh, a couple of the practical ways in which we love the Lord in every way, with everyone at all times, is that we hear the Lord's instruction. Another way we do this is by remembering the Lord's works. Uh, the third of four points is that we keep the Lord's commandments. This is verse, uh, verses 16 through 19. I'll read those. 
No, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you and that, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. It says, don't put your Lord to the test. Don't forget that he's promised to do a good work and he has that plan. But he's also commanded you to do certain things. We keep the Lord's commandments, not just because we are, we are terrified of God or because we are bored and it's what tradition says that we need to do or because we are doing anything. I think the first part of the gospel is that we do nothing for our own forgiveness and righteousness. It is the work of the Lord. And so we keep his commandments not to get our own righteousness, but as a reflection of what he has done for us. If we don't remember what the Lord has done, any of the rules that we give the next generation are going to come off as legalism, are going to come off as a checklist towards righteousness. But if we remember what the Lord does, then we will rightly know what our work is. And as we follow, as we obey, as we, uh, as we keep the Lord's commandments, I think that they do something for us, uh, maybe, maybe in three general aspects. There's an idea of it, it, it grows our gratitude, it grows our reverent fear, and it grows uh, our holiness. It, it purifies us. We keep the commandments, uh, we keep commandments of other people uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, just in, in, in everyday life, let's think of some. Uh, a spouse. Uh, you, may, you may follow you know, whatever uh, your, your, your spouse says, do this, don't do this, or whatever, as you agree to it or, or don't agree to it. Whether that's uh, through love or respect, I think that's kind of the good way that we follow. There are many bad reasons for doing what they say, but those are the good ones. Uh, we'll focus on the good. Parent, uh, we, li we, we listen to parents. We keep the commandments of our parents because of uh, honor, uh, because we honor them. Uh, we keep the commands of, uh, of the government, of the governing, uh, the governing bodies, of the law, because it's our, our civic duty, but then we read Romans 13. It's also our Christian duty to do this as well. Uh, maybe another one, we uh, teachers, we, we listen to our teachers and the rules that, that are there. Um, my daughter listens to the, the, the teachers a lot, and her reason is so that we don't get sent to principal proud. So that would be a rule. If you, if you go to Gardner, there's, there's fear of this man. Uh, <laughs> and he, <laughs> nice job. That's probably not the greatest motive there, sorry. Um, keeping, uh, keeping the commandments uh, is, is similar to these kind of things, maybe minus the fear one there. Um, Keeping the commandments is, is, is similar, but it's more than this. Because our relationship with God is uniquely shaped by salvation, we're not just coming to this, 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 this dictator God ogre in the sky who says, obey or die. And we come to him a lot of times for that. And when we teach that and instill that to our kids, we, we, we are teaching them to draw up those roots real fast and find them somewhere else. But there's something good in this because this God says, here are good commands. One book that we read uh, at home says, the best ways to live. Because that's there. And because uh, he, has, he has uniquely shaped our relationship by salvation, by the work that he alone has done, we follow him out of gratitude, out of fear, uh, and out of righteousness. We come to him to those things. We want to 
follow his commands by that, but also kind of as we root ourselves in and we, and we go there out of gratitude, out of reverent fear, uh, out, of, out of maybe some righteousness, we find that as we, as we do that, we, we, we get fed with the life-giving waters that are there, uh, as roots do. And we get fed, and it makes us go deeper, and it makes us more lean into our, 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 um, our reverent fear. We learn more of that. We learn more of, uh, of, our, um, of our holiness. We're purified within this, within this process. We, we, we have more gratitude when we see, that, oh, whoa, I'm even more wicked than I thought. Christ's forgiveness is even bigger than I thought, and then we go bigger. So we find that, that, that keeping the commandments of God grows us in gratitude, in reverent fear, and in holiness. Now, I'm going to move to the next one because I feel like the application on that one comes right here at the, at the very end. So we, we hear instruction, we, we, we remember the works of the Lord, we keep the commands of the Lord. And so those three kind of all feed into this last one here is the last one is tell the Lord's purposes. There's something interesting in the wording here that I, that I want to get to. So bringing all of this idea of hearing, remembering, keeping all into this idea of telling of the Lord's purposes. Here's verses 20 through 25. When your, sons, uh, when your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you will say to your sons, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household, before our eyes, and he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us a land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do these, all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all uh, all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Okay, so, so uh, I, want, I really want to lean into verse 20. There are a couple things that we get, some observations here that we need to note. It says, uh, when your son asks in the time to come, what is the meaning of these testimonies and statutes and the rules? I think what, what, what's here is there's an assume, the text is assuming that we're proactively teaching. And so we're proactively teaching our kids, but then it also assumes that we are preparing for crisis. So uh, let's go to proactively teaching. We teach in a way that the coming generations ask not for um, the basic information of our faith. Uh, Who is God? That's assumed, and then we move on toward the meaning of it. I mean, read this again. What is, uh, when your son asks you in the time to come, what are the testimonies and the statutes and the rules? Is that what it says? What are these things? No, 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 no. We get there. We've already taught that. They're saying, what is the meaning of this? And I think that's something that is, that is there's a hefty urge for us uh, to hand down to the next generation are the truths of God, that we're not just assuming that they're going to catch a lot of these, these detail and this information, but that they're actually learning who is the Father, who is the Son, who is the Spirit, what is sin, what is salvation? What is faith? What is this life? So that when times come, when we need to explain, we're not explaining the information, but rather we're doing heart work and we're cultivating people who love God and we're helping them to understand 
why is all this wallpaper everywhere? Why, 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 do we, why do we love God so much? One of my professors says, the best time to teach about God in suffering is well before a funeral. Because in a funeral, you're just going through the actions. And you can kind of tweak some of that stuff and remind people. But you've got to be teaching people about death way before. This is the same thing. It's preempting this idea of crisis. Now, I put a funeral and death up there. But crisis is oftentimes seen as a negative thing. Just kind of flip that a little bit. In the Bible, it is some of that. Um, but it's not always that crisis. We're preparing for crisis. We give the content so that in moments of crisis, we can actually do the work, the theological work, the, the, the formative work that needs to be done there. Uh, I'll just go in the book of John. We've been in John. We're familiar with John. In the book of John, the word crisis, it's a Greek word, uh, it, it, it's oftentimes translated as like judgment, so that's not wildly more positive, but, uh, but it means something a little bit different than uh, just a horrible, this is about to end and be terrible. Judgment is understood that, that in light of that day when Christ is judge. On that day, the judge, Jesus Christ, looks and says, what's the verdict? Did you know me? Like, really know me? Did you trust me? Did you believe me? Did you put your heart and your soul and your strength on me? Is, is that where it is? That should recalibrate, hopefully not too much, but it should recalibrate all of our parenting and all of the ways we interact with the younger generations. I think sometimes we want to deal with the moment and make it easier, and we forget about that day. On that moment of crisis, that is the big crisis, there will be a judgment, and we need to make sure we're okay there as a family, and the generations are okay there as a family. But what happens, there, there, there are smaller ways that, that happen each and every day where those crises happen. That judgment happens where, where something comes up, where there's a tension, there's a conflict, there's something, there's an opportunity where we have a chance to say, go inward or go to God. So uh, some of those would be in our encouragement with our kids. Someone, uh, maybe our kids, maybe the next generation, maybe someone in our community group needs an encouragement. They're discouraged and they need to be encouraged. We encourage them, not like, oh, you're a good person, you're great. I mean, that's, that's neat. But that's not where we're, where we're told to go here if we remember rightly what God has done. We encourage people for their image, the image of God that is in them and the work that God is doing in them. You are inherently valuable. You're doing some stupid things, but you're inherently valuable and we value for that. You are beautiful even though you're acting ugly. Does it make sense? We encourage their image, the image of God in them. That is a way that we encourage people. And that turns people to be prepared for that, ju that judgment day. I am celebrating in you. I am encouraging the work that I see God doing in your life. There's progress. So in our encouragement, we have those opportunities. Those are crisis moments to turn toward God instead of ourselves. Uh, in our instruction, we encourage. There is truth that is beyond me, and I'm going to give you a glimpse into that window of what that is. That's what education should be. <laughs> there is a truth. Let me just kind of help you see there. Okay, don't look out that window. That one actually goes to nothing. This is where the truth is. This is what is less reason to it. We can actually get there logically. We can actually get there historically. And then we're, we're, we're kind of walking them through this story toward truth. This is what we're doing in our, in our rooms this morning, right now, uh, is, is, is going through stories of the Bible and talking through 
you know, we have these I wonder statements at the end of the kids' lessons. I love them. I wonder what this would be. You get into the story. I wonder how we relate to this person. I wonder how this person understands God because we are instructing them toward wondering what that truth is. In our discipline, this is a tricky one. In our discipline, I, as a father of young girls, always want to say, why don't you all have peace because I'm your dad? And that's never going to go, ever. Um, Our discipline won't go well if that's our discipline. In that crisis moment, and it oftentimes feels like the worst crisis, um, we point them to the goodness of the law. It is good, it is right for your own gratitude, for your own conviction, for your own humility, for your own, uh, for your own uh, good ways, uh, for your own uh, uh, gratitude, for your own um, uh, fear and reverence of God. It's good to follow the law of the Lord. We also need to convict them of their sin, or, or at least expose that. The Spirit will convict them. The law is good. Your sin is weighty, and there's forgiveness in Christ. So yeah, yeah, maybe we're messing up here, but guess what? There's, there's forgiveness always right there. You're not just shame to punish, go sit in your room, and then we won't ever talk about it again. You've got to follow up. Give them the joy of Christ. Root them deeply in the forgiveness. We're okay with Christ. Now we're okay with each other, and now we've just lived out the gospel in what seemed like we were fighting over crayons. And in success, we gratefully praise God. In a test, in an award, in a promotion, we don't say, good job, you. We say, praise God that he has given us this opportunity. Praise God that in this test, he's given us the information and he's connected it in a way that it shows that you really got that information. Praise God that he does that. Praise God that you got a scholarship. He has been supplying us abundantly and bountifully. Praise God that you got married Praise God that you have a kid. Praise God that you, whatever the season of life is, praise God that he is working in your life and we can see this. It is proof that he has not forgotten you. And always point to our God who delivers his people from slavery. And praise God that God loves you enough to forgive your sin. So as our kids uh, continue here to come, to come back here, I'll give maybe three more general uh, suggestions on how we go about these practical ways of hearing the Lord's instruction, remembering the Lord's work, keeping the Lord's command, and telling the Lord's promises. Uh, Maybe three of those. I'd suggest we blur the lines on a lot of things. Blur the lines of our days. Blur the lines of um, between Sunday and every day. I think if we we pile in and and we front load all of the God work in our lives to Sunday, what we do is we are maybe unintentionally reinforcing the fact that this God of all the universe and all of life and all of creation is not actually over all of your activities at school or your learning or homework or our dinner conversations or our bedtime prayers or not or our fights at home. God's over all those things. We can just talk about him. And if we don't, we kind of risk that idea of ourselves forgetting who God is and what he does. And we definitely don't help our kids to understand that. Uh, uh, Maybe another way to blur the lines is through a thing, uh, to fight against age segregation. Uh, And by that I mean that that we 
uh, oftentimes we think that we learn here and you learn there. So people that are like me are going to learn best together, and people like you are going to learn best together, and we separate quite a bit. I would suggest to blur that line. Maybe with your kids. You know, a lot of the reason why we are in the service here before and after the sermon is, uh, is uh, so that we can get all of these truths and, and, and mix it up with each other so that we are learning so that they're not surprised the first time they're offered communion. They're not surprised the first time they, they confess sin so that they see their parents doing this and they learn from us. Uh, and then I would also, uh, I would also uh, suggest maybe to be cautious about comparative spiritual maturity. Maybe blur the lines of what maturity is. Maybe just because I'm older doesn't mean that I may be the best voice in this. Sometimes experience aligns us in ways that we can mentor each other uh, better. Sometimes wisdom uh, comes into play in how we can speak to many things and what voice we have. So hear the Lord's instruction. Remember the Lord's works. Keep the Lord's commandments and tell the Lord's purposes. Proactively work uh, the proactive work of every person, of every generation, is to remind other generations of the Lord's instruction, of his work, of his commands and his purposes. That the loving desire, to, uh, that, and that in doing so, we, we instill a loving desire to establish roots in the unchanging character, the ongoing work, and the steadfast love of God, who is our Father. A fatherless generation needs a Father, and Jesus Christ makes way to that Father. So, uh, this, is our, this is our text here today. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with everything you have, and you shall teach it to the generations to come. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us your word, that you have given us your law, you have given us your love. Pray that you would uh, help us to understand it more, to delight in it more, to creatively uh, talk about it more and, uh, and teach it more. In the moments that we need to have clarity of thought, help us turn toward you. Help us not put up uh, idols of, of ourself uh, as the authority, but, but always point towards you as the ultimate authority. Help us uh, uh, not, not point to ourselves as the, as the avenue toward success, but that you are the giver of, uh, of blessings. Give us humility. Help us to love other generations very well. Help us to love them because you love them and you call us to them. Help us to take up the work and give us, uh, give us your spirit to empower us to rightly and accurately remember into future generations your truth your holiness, your love, your justice, and your mercy. Amen. Brothers and sisters.